Studiosity acknowledges the traditional Indigenous custodians of country throughout Australia and all lands where we work, and recognises their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to Elders both past and present. I'm talking with Professor P Peter Rodol from Victoria University, but I'm going to ask you, Peter, to introduce yourself. Tell me about who Peter is. Okay, so yeah, I'm uh, Peter Rodol. I'm a uh, professor of information technology, uh, deputy vice chancellor at the uh, Victoria University. Uh, I'm an one man, so I come from the cold climate of uh, the top end of New South Wales, the, the, the high country New South Wales. So uh, that's where my people have come, come from. I've um, born in Tamworth uh, and I've spent a lot of time in Sydney, Tauri, Tamworth, Canberra and now in Melbourne. So that's Peter, what, what's sort of driven you throughout your career? Um, well, Judith, I've had a I've had three careers, I guess, uh, all up. I've had, I started off as a motor mechanic uh, initially, uh, and then went to university, became a public servant uh, for about seven years. And now I switched into academia in 2003, I think it was somewhere in there, and stayed in academia ever since. And then, of course, um, you know, had a fantastic time uh, in academia. But Thing that thing that drives me most is actually creating opportunities for uh, other people, particularly students uh, and staff, and career development. It's a definite passion, and in the end, you get to do things like research and teaching along the way. Not so much now in my role, but um, but definitely has been uh, that in the past for sure. So, yeah, I suppose it's paying it forward, if you like, in terms of um, what we do for students and and for staff. So this conversation is about reconciliation. Um, what does reconciliation mean for you as um, a proud Indigenous man? Yeah, well... But what uh, does it also mean in terms of how you drive it in an institution? Okay. Yeah, that's a good damn fine question uh, about reconciliation. Look, I'm, I'm a passionate uh, reconciliationist, if you like. Uh, a number of my colleagues in different organisations as I've gone through or not, uh, and for good reason. You know, they, they feel very strongly um, that, you know, uh, yeah, the communities are separated and they stay separated until there's a treaty and then there may be a reconciliation uh, through that process. Um, my view is that uh, I, I get that perspective and I really understand that perspective. Um, my view is that, um, you know, we both, the Indigenous and non-Indigenous community has to come a little while, a little way uh, together, and um, and then we'll actually, you know, together will be better if you like um, that wonderful saying from Nelson Mandela, uh, which I absolutely love. Together we're better, and then yeah, move forward. So you know, it's about us giving up a little bit of our autonomy, but also the non-Indigenous community giving up some of their power if you like, and then coming together and you know, creating something uh, quite unique and. Like I've done that a few times uh, in different organisations. Um, my previous uh, university, University of Canberra, has had a long history uh, of commitment to reconciliation. And I happened uh, to be there as a student in 1998 when the 
Vice Chancellor signed the very first uh, reconciliation commitment. And I happened to uh, um, be there uh, at the same time when the very first reconciliation action plan uh, was designed at the University of Canberra as well. So um, it's really interesting to watch uh, the growth of that, uh, that process, that reconciliation process. But it's, you know, it's about you know, the communities coming together for the, for the common good. And I think we've actually, Judith, I think we really have made a difference in the last, you know, particularly the last probably eight or nine years. Um, going back before that, it was a little bit hard. And I'll just reflect a little bit uh, on this with some colleagues, this last reconciliation week saying, you go back 10 years and you organized a morning tea for reconciliation, you'd be lucky to get half a dozen people. Uh, these days, if you organize a morning tea or an event for reconciliation week, you've got to have a fairly large room. Uh, so something's changed. And I think um, I think Australia's become a little bit more mature uh, and uh, we're understanding what reconciliation does. And as we invite more non-Indigenous people into the Aboriginal space or the Indigenous space, and say, you know what, you know, we're on a journey together. You want to join us on a journey together. So I think, yeah, for me, reconciliation is about making the world just a really better place for all of us, not just uh, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, but coming together to make the world a, a better place for all. So what will the conditions be that will enable and facilitate, facilitate in, in, in inverted commas, meaningful reconciliation? Yeah, this is, yeah meaningful. Yes. Um, look, I think it's going to be different in every context, Judith. I think if, um, you know, it's, so from my perspective, it's going to be different for health, for example, you know, you know, if we can get, you know, if we can get the health outcomes under control, right? If we can, I know that's one of the close the gaps sort of initiative, but if we can get the health outcomes under control, yeah, you know, stop, you know, shorten the, um, uh, the death gap, if you like, um, in you know things like reducing the incarceration rates. Um, if you, I mean, there's so much. I mean, and in the higher education sector, um, you know, the nine-year completion rate for non-Indigenous students, or for all students, if you like, is seventy-four percent. But the nine-year completion rate for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students is only forty-seven percent. Uh, so 53% of Indigenous students who started a degree never complete. It's not to say they don't go on to university later on in life or go off and have a great career in some other way or a startup or whatever it might be. But the reality is that 53% of those who start never finish. So for me, reconciliation would be, in the practical sense, addressing those um, really big gaps in what, what we see uh, across our, our sector and our society. It's just you know, you know, while we can talk and, you know, have initiatives and all these wonderful opportunities, um, you know, reconciliation is not going to be settled until some of those really, you know, long-term issues are addressed. You're working in a university that prides itself on its inclusiveness and widening participation agenda. How well are they travelling? Uh, Look, that's, well, that's a very good question, uh, Judith. Um, I can say as an institution, you know, we have the largest number of first and family students 
by far, uh, Victoria University, nearly uh, over 50% of our students are first in family, uh, which does present a bit of a challenge. I think, you know, um, yeah, with a lot more supports required for first in family, uh, as we know, across the sector. Um, in terms of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, uh, focus, um, I think there's definitely room for improvement. Um, and just recently, in, and I don't know if this is completely public, even though I put it out on LinkedIn just recently, is that the Vice-Chancellor has asked me to play the role of Deputy Vice-Chancellor Indigenous Equity and Inclusion um, after having another role. So my old portfolio no longer exists. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he's asked me to actually uh, focus on uh, First Nations outcomes here at Victoria University. So the so council's made a commitment. Uh, the vice chancellor has recognised that we could, uh, you know, there could be some, uh, we could do better uh, in this space. And he's asked me to actually uh, um, take on a new portfolio and, and go our hardest to actually make a better place and a, and a, a stronger focus on First Nations education research and engagement, and particularly the Aboriginal History Archive here as well, with Gary Foley. Gary Foley's collection is here at Victoria University. So, so I think um, we could improve, but the announcement of my new role is definitely going to shift the dial significantly as a Deputy Vice-Chancellor focusing on uh, Indigenous uh, aspects and inclusion and belonging as well. So, uh, sorry, yeah. Um, equity and inclusion as well. So it's going to make a real strong focus. We are, I think as an institution, we do, we do do very, very well. We also have a unique model of education. So the, the block model, I've heard of the block model before I came here, but not the VU block model, it's quite different. We have, you know, um, four week, you learn one unit at a time over four weeks, mm -hmm. small class sizes of up to 36. So it's very, it's very focused, it's very um, purposeful and very successful. Our student, uh, yeah, we've seen quite an uptick in terms of student success uh, with the model. And we actually attract a lot of students from uh, neurodiverse uh, backgrounds as well because they can hyper-focus on one subject at a time rather than four subjects, uh, which is not always the best way to learn. So I think we're doing pretty good on inclusion and belonging generally. Mm -hmm. uh, from a very diverse background, but we definitely could make some improvements from an average on under perspective. And like I said, the Vice Chancellor Adam Shoemaker uh, has recognised that and, and made the recommendation and uh, created a new role to actually assist with that going forward. Well, congratulations on that. And I Thank you. think it, it will be interesting and challenging. And talking about interesting and challenging, the other moment that we're in is the discussion about the voice yeah so what do you see the relationship is between uh reconciliation as you've been describing it and the voice yeah look i um let me let me answer this question in a slightly different way to ask what i would do normally if i was living in canberra still um i would answer it uh in a particular way but let me provide you some context so one of the things that I've learned uh, living here in Victoria, uh, it, you know, we have a very strong uh, voice in Victoria. You would know Lydia Thorpe is a, a senator uh, here in Victoria. She's also uh, a close colleague and ally of um, our, our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander staff here uh, at Victoria University as well. So 
Um, that's the context that you need to understand. In Victoria, um, Dan Andrews, the Victorian government, the Premier Dan Andrews, um, when the federal government rejected the statement, the Uluru Statement from the Heart back in 2017, Dan Andrews decided to create the Australia's first uh, treaty legislation in 2018 and created the Treaty Assembly and the Uruk, the Royal Commission into uh, the treatment of Aboriginal uh, and Torres Strait Islander people here in Victoria. And of course, um, the treaty process is well and truly underway here in Victoria. So that's the context that it's really important that the rest of Australia understands uh, that the treaty process is very close uh, um, to be, I wouldn't say settled yet, but there's, I think the first one's definitely going to happen uh, within the next 12 months, um, the very first treaty here in Victoria. Um, my view is that the voice is um, a fantastic opportunity for reconciliation. I, I, can't, I can't see, um, it's one of those practical things. I can't see anything wrong with the voice. I think the voice is an opportunity uh, to have an input. It's a very passive voice. And this is one of the things that you know, I've, I hear back, pushback from in terms of the Victorian context. Uh, it's, even though it's a passive voice, it still is a voice uh, that we can make recommendations to parliament and to the executive government on policies associated with our communities. Now, that, this is not without precedent, by the way. Um, we did have ATSIC before that, and before ATSIC, there was the National uh, Aboriginal uh, Education Committee, and there was other, the old NAC as well. So there's lots of, there's been iterations of um, the voice, if you like, um, to parliament previously. Uh, they've all been legislated, and the only difference between this one uh, we're talking about at the moment, the ones previous ones, is this one we're hoping to get into the constitution. Uh, to make it a firm voice so that's going to be there forever in recognising Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. I love uh, to, to quote uh, my Vice-Chancellor Adam Shoemaker. Um, he, I think this is a great quote. He goes, it, it, wouldn't it be better to have a bridge to somewhere than a chasm to nowhere? And I love that quote because it really, it really, um, you really envisage what that might look like. Uh, uh, well, both options, the, the bridge to somewhere, but the chasm to nowhere. And uh, you can actually visualise both of those and you think, well, a bridge to somewhere would be much nicer than a chasm to nowhere. Um, because we've we've spent it, you know, hundreds of years uh, with a chasm to nowhere. Uh, this is a bridge to somewhere. And it's not just a bridge to somewhere, it's a bridge to the truth-telling process, it's a bridge to uh, a treaty process. And that may be another two or three generations, but it will come. Um, I do I do think, but you know, it's a really practical reconciliation uh, opportunity. But I do think that at the federal level, it's much more difficult uh, to actually enshrine in a, a treaty process or the voice because the constitution, you know, and it's so easy to sow doubt in people's minds. And then there's all these conspiracies and so on and so forth. Uh, I think um, that with the um, fingers crossed that the voice gets up, Things would be really important because those health and education policies and having the inputs really important. But I do think uh, it's the states and territories that will actually bring the treaty process to fruition. Uh, they'll bring it together. So, you know, states and territories, you see them in South Australia, um, you'll see the voice to parliament in South Australia. I know that New South Wales is on the, on, the, on the path as well. I know that Queensland government, ACT have been talking, ACT government's been talking 
about the treaty process for some time as well. So I think the states and territories will bring treaties uh, rather than the federal government, but the voice is going to be really, really important uh, for policies uh, such as health and education to try to address those long-term systemic challenges that we've had in our communities. Do you think there are generational differences in terms of how um, Australians, Indigenous, Indigenous and non-Indigenous uh, interpret and enact um, the, the voice and reconciliation? Yes. Yeah, look, that's a, a really good question, Judith, because I've, I've really struggled with this a little bit with reconciliation because um, one of the things, and some people get this and some people don't. So one of the things um, that some non-Indigenous people think is that reconciliation is an Aboriginal thing and that somehow the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community has got to come 90% of the way uh, in terms of um, on the journey, when really, um, if you look at it very pragmatically, it's, it's kind of the other way around. It's like the non-Indigenous community should come 90% this way and we should go 10% that way. Um, but I tend to go 50-50 because yeah, at least that sounds like equality. But the reality is, is that most, I wouldn't say most, but there's a lot of non-Indigenous people think um, that reconciliation is an Aboriginal thing and it, it probably doesn't, they probably don't have to do, do much or don't have to have an impact or as like, long as it doesn't affect them, they're okay sort of thing. It might be interesting to note that the very first the very first um, CEO of Reconciliation Australia was a non-Indigenous person, um, Barbara Livesley. So she was the very first CEO of Reconciliation Australia. It just so happened since then, there have been a succession of Aboriginal uh, CEOs of Reconciliation since then. And I think you probably get more leverage having a, an Aboriginal CEO of uh, Reconciliation Australia than a non-Indigenous person. But it's really important that we have strong allies. And look, they're everywhere. I mean, we have really strong allies. Things have really moved along. So, and I, yeah, some examples, like I, I sit on the board of the uh, Smith family, for example, um, and the people who drive reconciliation in the Smith family are, the, are the non-Indigenous non exec leads. Uh, it's not the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander staff. And there's a, an Aboriginal advisory body that helps with the process as well. So, so yeah, they get it. Uh, but not all organisations do. So my previous university, uh, at, at University of uh, Canberra, where uh, I had to drive the reconciliation process in partnership with one of the executives who was a deputy vice chancellor of research, um, because uh, uh, Lee Sullivan, um, he because he had a passion for reconciliation. He thought it was the right thing to do, and about time that we addressed some of the really difficult challenges in Australia. And he was up for up for that. Not everybody sees that process as being a non-Indigenous process. A lot of people think it's an Aboriginal process. But like I say, there, there are bit pockets that are shifting their ideas and they're really understanding and owning that process and say, you know what, you've, you've suffered enough, you've, you've carried the load, if you like, the cultural load enough for so long. How about we, we help you along the journey now? And I've been that, that's my happy space really there. And that's a great place to finish our conversation, Peter. It's been, I've really enjoyed our conversation and thank you for giving me time today in your very busy um, day. And congratulations on your new challenge. And I look forward to running into you uh, at Universities Australia sometime. 
Thank you very much, Judith. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Go well. You too. You have been listening to Studiosity's podcast, Reimagining Higher Education. Candid conversations within higher education, sharing stories of leadership, change, and best practice in teaching and learning. Visit studiosity.com.